The Senate is moving inexorably to votes on the two impeachment articles against President Trump, accusing him of abuse of power for pressuring Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden, and obstruction of Congress for refusing to cooperate with House investigators. Next Wednesday, it will vote to acquit. We know that because 51 Republicans voted on Friday, January 31st, against hearing witnesses. After a week in which they heard from the president's defense, asked questions of the House managers and Trump's lawyers, and faced unrelenting pressure from Democrats to call witnesses, especially former White House National Security Advisor John Bolton, who has a new book coming out that says Trump did pressure Ukraine to benefit his own re-election campaign. Despite the pressure, only two Republicans voted for witnesses. It wasn't enough. CQ Roll Call White House reporter Niels Lesniewski observed it all. Here's some of what he heard. But I think at this stage it's pretty fair to say that uh, John Bolton has a uh, relevant uh, testimony to provide to those of us who are sitting in impartial justice. In terms of uh, the, the sort of red herrings, well, if we're going to call, if the House managers want to call relevant witnesses, we want to call irrelevant ones because we want to make them pay a price for getting witnesses who are at the heart of this scheme. Um, that's not a game we're interested in playing. Professor Dershowitz. You stated during your presentation that the House grounds for impeachment amount to the, quote, most dangerous precedent, end quote. What specific danger does this impeachment pose to our republic, to its citizens? I have never lived at a more divisive time in the United States of America than today. This will just be the beginning of a recurring weaponization of impeachment whenever one house is controlled by one party and the presidency is controlled by another party. The House managers say there are dangers of not impeaching, but those dangers can be eliminated in eight months. If you really feel there's a strong case, then campaign against the president. But the danger of impeachment will last my lifetime, your lifetime, and the lifetime of our children. Mr. Chief Justice. Senator from Kentucky. I have a question to present to the desk for the uh, House Manager Schiff and for the President's Counsel. The presiding officer declines to read the question as submitted. And now Niels will join us to tell us about what he observed this week in the impeachment trial and what we can expect next week. Niels, why, why do you think the Senate voted no on witnesses? Well, the, the ultimate uh, decision came down to uh, several uh, Republican senators who were late uh, to decide, uh, most notably Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and uh, Lamar Alexander of, of Tennessee. Um, Murkowski, at the end, decided that there was basically no way that there was going to be a quote-unquote fair trial, that everyone's minds were made up, uh, and that ultimately... Uh, it wouldn't matter one way or another. Uh, Alexander actually uh, issued a statement a couple of nights ago, a few nights ago, saying uh, that it was basically that the facts and evidence were 
uh, accurate that were presented by the House, that there was enough of an evidentiary record to actually prove that uh, President Trump uh, had uh, conditioned the aid to Ukraine on uh, seeking investigations uh, of the Biden family. Uh, but uh, he he actually said that, that, in his view, it was not uh, conduct that was worthy of removing uh, the president from office. So at the end of the day, uh, it was Republican senators who basically were like, we've heard enough uh, and we don't need uh, to hear anyone else. Now, the Democrats had a lot hanging on this uh, vote on witnesses. They had been demanding it really from the start of these proceedings. But the House, uh, as Republicans noted, the House uh, could have subpoenaed these witnesses. Why didn't they? Well, the, the argument from the House throughout the entire process uh, was that uh, such a uh, subpoenaing witnesses who, who didn't want to appear voluntarily or who the, the or whom the president did not want to appear voluntarily uh, would have led to a prolonged legal battle over executive privilege, inherent immunity, and other similar claims. Uh, so, you know, the the dispute that has been ongoing and that I'm sure we will hear more about Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday uh, before the final vote Wednesday is expected on uh, acquitting uh, President Trump is uh, whether or not there's anything that uh, could have been done differently in terms of, of getting getting folks uh, to testify, getting people to be deposed at some point uh, in this process that wouldn't have taken, you know, the months that, that basically everyone assumes would have happened. Right, and wouldn't that have been the case in the Senate too? I mean, they could have, President Trump could have, uh, declared executive privilege or that his aides shouldn't be allowed to testify throwing it to the courts. Yeah, that's right. And there's a, there's a sort of ongoing uh, circular argument uh, to some extent where on one hand you have the argument being made in federal courts uh, that these are not uh, matters that even should be decided by the courts. Well, on the other hand, in the Senate trial, the argument is being made that the court is the only appropriate venue. So uh, it's unclear where any of this would have uh, ultimately ended up. And uh, it appears that a majority of senators have decided they just don't want to wait long enough to figure out how it would play out. So the final vote was 51 to 49 with two Republicans, Susan Collins of Maine and Mitt Romney of Utah joining all the Democrats in uh, saying they'd like to see witnesses and all the other Republicans voting against 51. The vote was reflective of the divide in the country on the impeachment, which I think shows a pretty even split with people who think President Trump should be removed and those who don't. And that was one of the reasons Lamar Alexander, that Tennessee senator you mentioned, who was one of the last holdouts on witnesses, ultimately voted against, gave. He said, he couldn't see voting to remove President Trump given that half the country doesn't think he should be removed. What was it? Was that a, that seemed like a new argument from the Republicans, which is a new talking point that they're using now? It certainly, it certainly did. Uh, and, and the uh, statement from Senator Alexander went 
beyond that to basically argue uh, that the timing is such that, you know, on Monday, you know, this that vote on, on the witness question was, was a couple of days before uh, caucus goers will be gathering in Iowa. And, you know, I think that the argument being made essentially is that there shouldn't be an impeachment trial in an election year. It, it had some echoes at least. Uh, and this, this will not be something that when I say it, the Democrats will be very happy about. It has some echoes of the argument that Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader made, uh, when he refused to fill the Supreme Court seat, uh, that was occupied by Antonin Scalia that became open at the end of the Obama administration. That it basically, the argument basically here is that, uh, the, the voters should decide on the president in November and not uh, the Senate. It struck me that Alexander was also somewhat mem- melancholy in his statement, that he, he was lamenting the partisan uh, divide in the country. And you got that a bit, I think, too, from Lisa Murkowski, the Republican senator from Alaska, who ultimately voted against witnesses. But on the other hand, you had some Republican senators who were quite defiant uh, Marsha Blackburn, the other senator from Tennessee, for example, had called this whole thing a farce. What would you? How would you define the mood in the chamber? I mean, was it really split uh, depending on the senator? You know, I think it was largely split, and it has been uh, largely largely split through most of this um, process. Uh, part of what you know we've seen in in the chamber and around the the Capitol building in the last uh, couple of weeks as this trial has been underway is that uh, there were certainly some contingent of people who were retrenched to their partisan corners, uh, basically from the outset, who had their uh, talking points ready and were making arguments throughout that this was either a farce or that you know, the president should be removed immediately for, for about a hundred different things that were not actually in the charging document from the House. Uh, and, but then there were other people who, you know, listened to the arguments uh, that were made by the House managers and, and came to believe that something uh, foul was done uh, by the president or by uh, Mick Mulvaney, the acting White House chief of staff, or by others around the president, uh, even if they didn't think it rose to the level uh, of conduct to remove um, him, President Trump, from office. And I just think that what is the the lesson here in that regard uh, is that the senators were somehow not necessarily all paying attention to this process as it played out through the House. It became clear that even if people ultimately voted uh, in fairly predictable partisan ways for the most part, uh, that at least a lot of them really had been in a news vacuum. and There was a lot of information that was not new uh, to an observer who had been watching the various House hearings and the testimony from folks like Gordon Sondland and, and others in the House, that the senators didn't necessarily all um, know the evidentiary record already. 
So there was some thought that there might be a final vote on the impeachment articles on Friday night, January 31st. Instead, uh, the senators uh, reached an agreement on taking final votes on Wednesday. Can you tell us what to expect now? What's coming up next week? So for for this 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 coming week, uh, Monday, uh, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we'll have uh, some opportunities uh, after the closing arguments are presented on on Monday by the uh, House managers and by the president's legal team. Uh, the rest of the day, Monday, as well as Tuesday, and and a chunk of Wednesday, most likely, will be used. Uh, in legislative session, we'll go back to the normal operating Senate, so so Chief Justice Roberts won't be presiding the whole time. And what will happen is uh, senators will just basically be able to give speeches and, and outline the way they are going to vote ultimately on, on Wednesday and explain their reasoning. Uh, and the impeachment Senate will come back uh, at, at four o'clock on uh, Wednesday afternoon, and, and we'll proceed immediately uh, to vote separately on the two articles of impeachment presented by the House. Now, on Tuesday night, February fourth, President Trump will speak to a joint session of Congress with, at his annual State of the Union address. What are you going to be watching for? Well, part of the timing of this is is now more remarkable than it was when we started, but. Uh, the State of the Union itself, uh, what we have heard so far uh, is that the speechwriters, at least, are intending for the president to have an optimistic message talking about um, uh, job creation, advancements in the uh, economy, uh, uh, specifically among uh, blue-collar uh, workers, uh, promoting the recently signed USMCA, the trade pact. Canada and Mexico, uh, and um, a strong uh, foreign policy vision. It's all sort of the positive view, if you are uh, selling the Trump uh, administration agenda in the start of a presidential election year. Uh, And what we're all waiting to see is whether or not um, the president goes off script, because normally he has been fairly good at sticking with the teleprompter during State of the Union speeches and other big speeches like that. Uh, But the question for everyone will be whether or not he will be able to resist turning around, looking at Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, who will be behind him, uh, and effectively uh, sort of veering into a uh, a slightly premature victory lap on impeachment. It will certainly be a night of high drama. We'll look forward to your reports uh, in rollcall.com, Niels. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I'm Sean Zeller. The producers of this show were Joanne Levine, Evan Campbell, and Micaela Rodriguez. CQ on Congress is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. We'll see you next week.